book of Judges, and we're going to be reading in chapter 12. First seven verses in chapter 12 of Judges. Anyone going to the Sunday school, you can go now. That is, if we have any takers today, I'm not sure. All right, Judges 12, verse 1. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over towards Zephon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon, and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down you there. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you, would not, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Massites. And the Gilead seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say to him, Then say, Shibboleth. And he would say, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him up the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. And Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. Jephthah was a judge in Israel. He was the illegitimate son of Gilead uh, through a woman of ill repute. And when Gilead's wife bore him other sons, and whenever they grew up, then they were not willing to share their inheritance with his harlot's son, and so they cast him out of the home. And he went to live in the land of Tob, which was way up north. And there, uh, men of questionable character began to gather around him. People who were outcasts and outlaws like himself. People that other people didn't want. And so he took these men and in time he molded them and shaped them and disciplined them into a tremendous fighting force. Uh, and he himself was a very brave and courageous warrior. And so he had this fighting force, as it were, a force to be reckoned with, and they did raids in the land of Tob. And then... Meanwhile, one of Israel's bitterest enemies, the Ammonites, they began to make war with the Gileadites. And the Gileadites, having a brass neck after what they had done to this man, realizing he was such a good warrior and he had such a great warriors around him, he invited him and his men to come and fight with them against the Ammonites. And he says, initially he says, no, why should I do that? But then he relented and he said, okay, but only if you allow me to be head over all the Gileadites. And they swallowed their pride and agreed to this on the basis that if you win this war against the Ammonites with us, then we will allow you to be head over the Gileadites. 
And so they did that, and they went and they fought against the Ammonites, the Ammonites, I beg your pardon, and they won a great decisive battle. And just then, when you think that's it, then something else arises up. And that's like the enemy of our souls. If he can't get you one way, then he'll try to get you another way. And just as that issue was settled, then the Ephraimites took umbrage against the Gileadites. And they said, we wanted to go to fight with you, but you didn't invite us. And Jephthah said, no, we did. We certainly did invite you, but you wouldn't come. You left us to fight all alone by ourselves. But the Lord was with us and we won a great victory. And again, sometimes that's like church people. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to roll their sleeves up. They don't want to do anything. Other people does it, but when other people do it and the Lord gets blessing, blesses that and does a great work out of that, then they get jealous and, and because they have no part in it. And the Ephraimites was the largest tribe and they should have been the ones to take on the Amorites in the first place, but the Ammonites, but they did not. And so this issue of jealousy and pride rose up. And in order for Jephthah to avoid a kind of a mini civil war, uh, he met with the, the Ephraimites and he says, look, we, we really should not be going to war here. And he was trying to be conciliatory and try to be political with them, but they would have none of it. They just wanted to fight. He says, okay, you want to fight? Well, we'll fight. And they fought against them, and the Gileadites under Jephthah won a very decisive battle against the Ephraimites. Most church splits are because someone, someone in their pride would not back down. Someone in their pride would not back down, and it causes a fight, an argument, and a split. This is what happened here between these uh, two lots of people. But it's in this particular moment in verse 5 and 6 that I want to draw your attention to uh, regarding whenever they met at the fords or the meeting of the, the streams. In verse 5 it says, The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, Let us cross over, the men of Gilead would say, Are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. And then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. And there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. You see, although all of these men in that region would look similar, their physical features would be roughly the same. They would probably be dressed the same. I mean, they were all from the one area. And so in order to try to differentiate the, the, the Ephraimites who would be escaping from the Gileadites, they'd have to devise this means to do this because they looked the same, they dressed the same, they looked every way. So they said, say Shibboleth. Shibboleth means a stream. Say Shibboleth. But they couldn't say it. For the life of them, they couldn't say it. They could only say Sibboleth. They couldn't say the hard shh. They could only say Sibboleth. And that gave them away. That revealed who they really were. They were Ephraimites. They weren't Gileadites. And that cost them their life. 42,000 of them died because of their speech. Their speech betrayed them. It gave them away. I remember many years ago, I was in the city of Toronto, Canada, and I was speaking at my good friend John Williamson's church there, and I had another church to go to in Rockford, Illinois, in the States. 
And so I had to get a ticket, first of all, to Chicago, Illinois, and then to Rockford. And I was traveling by bus. And so I went into Toronto, and they told me it was in Chinatown where the bus station was. And here am I from Northern Ireland in Chinatown, Toronto, in the bus station, standing in line to get my ticket. Didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. Standing there. Nobody was saying a word. And then when you came to the ticket desk, then you asked for your ticket. And so I asked for my ticket and had a little conversation. Don't know what I said, but something I said, one of the other ticket guys further down the line, he popped up his head and he said, do you know where Wilson's Row and Ballyclare is? <laughs> well, that's my hometown. Not only did he know what country I came from, but the very town I came from. One of the words I must have said, he thought, that's a Ballyclare man, and so am I. And he recognized that word. My shibboleth betrayed me. As much as I was trying to be polite and speak slowly so that they understand me. Because we, we go to foreign countries, we have a habit of speaking very, very fast and they can't understand. So it was deliberate, but just one word I said, and he said, Bally Claremont, I know that accent anywhere. It, it gave me away. I, I remember reading in a local newspaper, the Belfast Telegraph, a few years ago. And it was a man who said he was in Australia on holidays. And he was in Bondi Beach, the famous Bondi Beach. And there was a nice cream van there, and he thought, I'll go and get an ice cream. So he lined up with everybody else, didn't know anybody, nobody knew him, nobody was speaking until you got to the ice cream man, and you asked for your, your order. So he says, the guy in front of me, I didn't know who he was, we haven't spoken, and he got, and he gave his order, and he says, two pokes, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, pokes, of course, as you know, in Northern Ireland means cones. But uh, he says, as soon as he said two pokes, I knew exactly where he came from. That just gave it away, didn't it? I'm sure the guy in Bondi Beach in the van, I'm sure he had no idea in the world what two pokes were. <laughs> it needed to be explained to him. You remember Peter at the trial of Jesus and how that three times he denied Jesus. You remember the first time uh, a little garakoon came to him and said, uh, weren't you one of them? He says, no, 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 not me. And then somebody else came a little bit later and said, you were with them, weren't you? He says, no, 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 not me, no, 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 no. And then the third one came and says, you are one of them because your speech betrays you. You see, he was a Galilean from the north, Jerusalem's in the south, and he was a fisherman from Bethsaida in the shores of Galilee. He was a rough countryman. How many people know that when country people go to the city there's a difference in the accent, isn't there? And in every country there's a difference in the accent between country people and city people. And so his speech betrayed him. His shibboleth betrayed him. As soon as he opened his mouth it was a dead giveaway, wasn't it? As Christians we ought to have a different accent. We ought to speak differently than those around us. Now I'm not talking now about you know, your, your, how you pronounce a word or some idiosyncrasy about how you speak. I'm talking about what you say as a believer, what you say as a Christian. Uh, what are you accentuating? What are you stressing? What are you emphasizing? What are you saying as a believer to those around you? Does your shibboleth reveal to others that you are a Christian? Or do they not? Or do you try to hide your shibboleth? Do you try to hide that you're a fact that you're a Christian? You know, I, I do worry sometimes that there are Christians and they try to be secret Christians. They, they don't want to speak their faith or say anything about God or say anything about the Word. And Well, what if I do and somebody doesn't like it? Well, so be it. 
But what if you do and somebody does like it? What if you do share and somebody says, do you know, I've been thinking about that for a long time. You could be the one who could just prompt them to go back and just to think about the things of God. Uh, you know, I, I worked with a man for eight years. Eight years. And in the factory where we worked, there was one department which I was in, there was about 100 men. And out of that 100 men, there was about six or eight who were believers. And whenever you come in on Sunday night to start your night shift, Especially on Sunday, it was great because all us believers at the break, we talked about, well, what was the preacher on today and what was the message and, and how, you know, who was at church today? Was, we were talking about the things of God. But there was this one guy and it was only the week I was leaving after eight years that he said to me for the first time, I'm a Christian, you know. Well, I didn't know. None of us knew because he never ever in eight years talked about the things of God or the scriptures or church or anything. He just kept quiet. No shibboleth to reveal who he was. He was, he was a nice guy, well-mannered, but nothing to indicate he was a true believer in Christ. Eight years he held that without revealing who he was. Now understand, of course, that there's more to believers by our talk. There is our walk. But surely our talk and our walk must go together. You know, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If it's in the heart, surely it should come out the mouth. We're not to hide it. It's not something we should hide. Now, Salvation is a very personal thing, but it's never a private thing. It's personal in that all of us here today and all of us watching are believers. Every one of us has a different testimony. We came to Christ at different times. We came to Christ at different ways. So that's personal to us, but it's never private. It's something that we should share, something we should talk about. Our speech reveals a lot about us. It really does. Your words are much more important than you ever imagine. Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If it's in the heart, really in the heart, then it should come out. And if there's a lot of it in the heart, then that's what should come out of the heart. Psalm 45 and 1. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 10 and 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Are our shibboleths, our shibboleths, are they gracious? We speak gracious words. Now, I know no matter how good we are, no matter how well we're doing spiritually, there's going to be times when we're going to say things that are not very gracious. Uh, and we realize it. We say it and we realize it. You know, we all do that. And I don't sit there polishing up your halo because I know you all do it. There's moments when you let rip, you let fly. Something comes out of your mouth. You never intend it. You thought, oh, I thought I dealt with that years ago. Maybe a gossip, it may be something. But, you know, I'm not talking about swearing. I'm just talking about just bad-mouthing something or somebody. And it just comes out. And it's not gracious. It's 
not gracious words. But God wants us to speak gracious words. Jesus was noted for his gracious words. They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. They wondered. Not like the rest of the religious leaders. Jesus was different. His words were gracious. Never man spoke like this man. He speaks with authority, not as the scribes. His word is different. His words, his shibboleth is different than the rest of them. Jesus always knew when to be quiet and when to speak up. You remember before Pilate, and he said some things to Pilate, but there came a point when Pilate said to him, have you nothing to say in your defense? Do you not hear what they're saying against you? Are you not going to speak up in your own defense? He said, do you not know I have the power to take your life or to give you life? And Jesus said, you have no power at all except it was given you from above. And then whenever Pilate dumped Jesus onto Herod because Herod was over Galilee and Jesus from Galilee and he tried to get rid of him that way and he went to Herod and Herod was all excited. He was really excited because he thought, I've heard much about this man and he may be starting to do some miracles in front of me. You know what happened? Jesus spoke not one word. Not one word to that man did he speak. Not a word. That didn't please Herod, by the way, but not a word. He knew when to speak up and he knew when to be quiet. And sometimes that's where we make the mistake, don't we? We speak up when we should be quiet and we're quiet when we should speak up. Jesus knew exactly what to do. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Hmm. Let your speech always be with grace, but seasoned with salt. Now, you know that salt can be, uh, you know, for medicine, you can, you, salt can be a healer. And a wound, if you put salt in it, it can stop infection, it can stop corruption. Salt can do that. But it stings. You put salt in the wound, even though it may be good for it, but it'll sting you when you do it, before it brings the healing. And so even though our words generally has to be gracious, but sometimes they sting. Sometimes we had to say some things to somebody, maybe bring a correction in somebody's life, which is not easy to do. By the way, if you like correcting everybody, you're the wrong person to be doing it. You enjoy that too much, you're the wrong person to be doing it. But sometimes it has to be done and it stings. And the person may get defensive and not like it, but if they listen to it and it's genuine and it's of the Spirit, that will bring healing after it stings. Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Hmm. Peter's shibboleth betrayed him over and over and over again. His shibboleth betrayed him. His shibboleth of pride. Remember in the upper room for the Last Supper, Jesus gathered together his disciples and it would be a private meeting. There would be no servants there, just Jesus and his disciples. And whenever they got there, there was nobody to wash feet, no servant that would normally be there to do that. So Jesus waited to see which one of these guys is going to wash the other's feet. And not one of them responded because they didn't see themselves as servants. They were the great leaders 
They were the leaders of this great evangelistic band in, in, in all Israel was talking about. They didn't see themselves as leaders could stoop down and wash other people's feet. Remember what Jesus did? He took the servant's apron from the door, put it on him, got a basin of water, bent down and began to wash feet. And Peter, in his pride, says, you shall never wash my feet. <laughs> and Jesus looked up and says, Peter, if I can't wash your feet, you have no part with me. In other words, I don't want any pride in my men. I want them to be real servants. I want them to be able to stoop low and serve, not full of pride. And then Peter being Peter says, well, not just my feet, Lord, but all of me. He says, no, no, you don't need just your feet. It's just your feet get dirty walking here tonight. You've had a bath before you came. It's just your feet. But you see, that was his shibboleth of pride. And then his shibboleth of self-confidence. Remember that night he says, Lord, if all these forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. I, 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 let me paraphrase. I know there are a bunch of scaredies, but I'm not. I'm brave. And Lord, when push comes to shove, even if all of them run, I'll be still standing beside you. What a boast. What a boast. What self-confidence is that? And then a shibboleth of ignorance. You know, when Jesus was talking about dying, Peter again being the spokesman for everybody, Everybody had a right to Peter's opinion. Whether you want it or not, you got it. And so he says, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. <laughs> really? He had no idea what he was talking about. This was the very reason Jesus came. But you see, Peter and all the disciples didn't get it because they were wanting the Messiah. This was going to be a great political and military leader who would lead their nation against the Roman pagans and kick them out of the country and set up a kingdom. That's their narrative. That's what they believed all of their life. Jesus is only 33 years old. How could he die? He's the Messiah. How could he die? They could not see that. That was his ignorance, wasn't it? And then again, another shibboleth of ignorance. On the Mount of Transfiguration, and there was Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And Peter thought, this is wonderful. Here's his two life childhood heroes, Moses and Elijah. He had read about them all of his life, and here he can see them in his presence. He says, Lord, this is wonderful. Let's make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's stay here. This is wonderful. And God spoke, said, this is my beloved son, hear him. You know, in Luke 9, in that incident, it says that Moses and Elijah were speaking to Jesus about his decease, his death, and what he would accomplish at Jerusalem. But again, Peter and the disciples, they didn't get that. That wasn't in their thinking. It wasn't on their radar. They were ignorant, really, at that point about the reason why Jesus came. They thought it was to set up his political kingdom, but it wasn't. Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. And then his shibboleth of fear. Again, at the trial of Jesus, finally, when he was exposed, 
for the third time he denied Jesus and he says, I know not the man. I know not the man. I don't even know him. Who are you talking about? Jesus, I don't even know him. And at that moment, the rooster crowed and Jesus turned around and looked right in his eyes. And at that second, what must he have felt? The humiliation, the embarrassment. And then on the morning after resurrection, the disciples, some of them had gone out fishing. They came back with nothing. Jesus met them on the shore and he had cooked a little barbecue of fish for them. They took Peter aside. Do you remember the story? Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me without question? Do you love me completely and totally? And Peter now, all of that self-confidence is gone. All of that puffed up pride is gone. And he can't say to Jesus now, yes, I truly love you. I truly agape you. He couldn't say that. He says, I, you know, Lord, that I'm really fond of you. Because that's the translation. You know, I'm really fond of you. He couldn't say it. The stuffing had been knocked out of him. He had been humbled to the dust, and he knew it. Of course, Jesus restored him, didn't he, fully and completely. Then see him on the day of Pentecost. And there he is, preaching that great sermon. No fear. Fear's gone. No ignorance. His, his sermon is peppered with Old Testament scriptures. And now he realizes the reason why Jesus came and why he had to go to the cross and why he had to be resurrected. And he preached that message of the death and resurrection of Christ. 3,000 people were so touched to give their souls to Jesus that day. What a difference. Fear's gone. Pride's gone forever. He's a new man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, our words become different when Jesus comes into our lives. Our shibboleths change. My former pastor told me, he says, one time I was preaching in a church in America and it was the church where Colonel Sanders got saved. Kentucky Fried fame. And he told him, he says, you know, he gave his testimony after he got saved in church here. And he told us publicly, before I got saved, I was the most foul-mouthed, blasphemous man you could ever meet. But when I got saved, all that changed. And by the way, the pastor said to my pastor, he says, by the way, he says, I'm now going to tithe to your church. <laughs> How would you like Colonel Sanders' tithe? That would be a good tithe, wouldn't it? Eh? <laughs> I could build you a new church very quickly, couldn't it? See, your words are much more powerful than you think. Just one word, one word, shibboleth, caused the deaths of 42,000 Ephraimites. Just one word. Made all the difference. How powerful are your words? Proverbs 18.21 tells us, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What fruit are you eating, spiritually speaking? 
It's the fruit that brings life or the fruit that brings death, spiritually speaking. You know, you can speak spiritual death. You can speak it all day long. And let me tell you, your spiritual life will suffer because of it. Or you can speak life, words of life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James, in his little short epistle, he talks about it in chapter 3. Just let me read this to you. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or a mature man. Able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, and they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest, forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is also set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the mouth, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. The only thing that can tame the tongue is the Holy Spirit, is us being subject to the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that can tame the tongue. If it's just ourselves, we can't do it. And the tongue is so important it really is. In fact, in Matthew 12, I'm not going to go into this this morning, but don't have time. But in Matthew 12, Jesus says that every idle word we shall speak will have to give account of. Every idle word. Whew, that's strong, isn't it? And so our words today, our shibboleths, reveal who we are on the inside. They show who we are on the inside. Because what's in is going to come out. So let's make sure what comes out is gracious and it's the right thing and it's godly and it's good and it's encouraging and uplifting. My eldest sister was standing in a shop one day and there was a lady behind the counter serving and then a lady behind the counter being served, just two ladies. So she came up behind the two ladies and they were in conversation. And she says, I listened for a moment or two and the name of Jesus was being blasphemed continually. And I thought, I'm going to say something here. I'm not going to put up with this. So she said, excuse me, ladies. I hear you're talking about a dear personal friend of mine. And he says, what? Yeah, you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, my personal friend. 
and you're blaspheming his lovely name. Why are you doing that? <laughs> and she says, the conversation just stopped. And then one of the ladies turned around and said, I, I, I'm really sorry, I, I didn't realize. No, she says, I thought you didn't realize because you were using it so freely. But she says, you know, Jesus went to the cross and died for me, and he went to that cross and died for you too. <laughs> what a difference that made to that conversation. The Lisburn Museum, the Lisburn Linen Museum, the city of Lisburn, Whenever it was opened, maybe it was about six weeks after it opened, I went along to, to have a look. And it was fascinating because it gives you the, the, the history of the linen industry in the Lagan Valley. And most of that I didn't know. So it was fascinating just to read up about it and see the displays. But also there was a big weaver's loom right in the hall. And there was a weaver working on it. And he was weaving linen. And there was maybe half a dozen people standing watching and I sidled up among them and was watching and I knew exactly what I was looking at because the little piece of shiny polished boxwood is called a shuttle and there's linen thread on that and he kept shooting the shuttle between the, the vertical linen threads and that would make a pattern and it's very, very fast. It's very shiny, very, very, very fast. So I knew what it was, but it kind of played a little bit of ignorance here. I said, excuse me, sir. You see that piece of wood you have? Would, would that be the weaver's shuttle that goes so fast? He says, yes, that's the weaver's shuttle. And he says, it really is fast. And it's supposed to be fast. I says, well, do you know that the Bible says in the book of Job that our lives is like a weaver's shuttle? It goes so fast and then it's over. Did you know that? <laughs> And there wasn't a word spoken, <laughs> not a word, <laughs> silence. And I just left that hanging in the air and I just walked off and looked at more things. <laughs> just left them thinking that, you know, take that home with you. <clears throat> Sally and I, we were in Spain one time. A friend of ours had a, one, of those, uh, one of those homes, uh, I forget what the name of them is, it, you, you buy them and, you, and then other people can rent them off you. Timeshare, thank you. Timeshare home. So he a lovely timeshare home and he says, look, you and Sally go and just, uh, and Claire was with us, just go and just spend a week there and enjoy it. He says, it only costs you your, your fare over and that's it. So we took the opportunity. He says, the only thing is, he says, because it's a timeshare, the timeshare people will be there and they're going to try to stitch you up with a timeshare. They want to sign you up. So they'll have a talk for an hour. So just go along and just nod your head, but don't sign anything. Well, we couldn't sign anything. We couldn't sign up for a timeshare. Never. So he says, just go ahead and do that. And it'll only be an hour and then it's over. So we did that. And sure enough, it was out of that day the next morning. I forget which. We're all sitting there, us and others. And this young lady came around with, with a tray of drinks. She came around two or three times with drinks for everybody. But every time she came to us, we just simply says, no, just soft drinks, please. And that was okay. She came around again, no, just soft drinks. So after the whole thing was over and everybody was going away, she came running over to us. She says, excuse me. She says, can I ask you, are you Christians? She says, yes. How did you know? Well, she says, I, I just wondered because... Everybody else was taking drinks, and you only took soft drinks. I was just wondering, and that's why I had to ask you. I said, well, why did you ask in the first place? She says, well, actually, I'm a backslider. 
and I'm from South Africa. And I went to a big church in South Africa. I came here to work here, and my spiritual life has nosedived. And I met a guy who's not a believer. We lived together, and she says, it's not good. She says, I felt convicted today. She says, what are you doing on Sunday morning? I says, well, we have nothing planned. Can I come to your apartment? Can I talk to you? Sure you can. She came in for two hours. We had the loveliest conversation about Jesus and the things of God, and we prayed with her. I don't know what's happened to her since. We never met again. But it was just a wee divine appointment. Right? Now, even that wasn't even something we said. It was something we did. That just, and it caused us to be able to, to share our hearts and to share the things of God and about the, about the Lord Jesus. You know, your words are very, very important by what you say. Let me tell you a story, and I've told you this at church, I've told you this a couple of times, but it bears repeating. Uh, years ago, whenever I came into, into town to, you know, to pastor here and to start the church, I decided I would knock every door in, in Moira and just, just witness. And so it was one late summer evening, and I was up in Claremont area, and I was walking around, knocking on doors, witnessing. I knocked on a door and this young Christian lady came out. Oh, she says, I'm a believer too. Wonderful. And then she wanted to talk and talk and talk and talk about the things of God, which was wonderful. And I says, well, look, I'd love to talk to you more, but it's getting late and I've only about four or five houses to finish in the cul-de-sac here because it's getting dark and then I have to go. And she says, don't go next door. Oh. I says, why? Rough crowd, rough crowd. I says, well, what am I going to do? I says, I, I can't walk past it and go to the next house. I said, I'm going to have to go. And so I was going up that garden path and a little bit of trepidation thing, this rough crowd. And the door opened and sure enough, this big guy with long, black, scraggly hair and earrings in. He was about six foot, built like a barn door. He leaned up against me and says, what do you want? <laughs> and I didn't even say I was a pastor. I says, my name's David. And I'm just going around the neighborhood tonight and I'm just sharing with people about the love of God. I would love to speak to you about the love of God. Would that be okay? He says, that's okay. Just go ahead. And for the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I shared Jesus with that man. I shared about the love of God and what Christ has done at Calvary. You know, at the end of it, he says, thank you very much. Thank you, he says. I appreciate that. And I walked away thinking, you see that lady next door? I bet you should never share the love of God with that man ever. She just looked at him and thought, rough crowd. But you see, there was a heart underneath that rough exterior. And our words can make a difference by what we say. So let our shibboleths today, let them be good. Let them reveal who we truly are, that we're people of God, that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let it be positive. Let it be uplifting. Let it be encouraging. And if we have to rebuke, if it's necessary and correct, if we have to do that, fine. But let most of our words be gracious words that comes out of our mouth. And if we slip up and we fail, say, sorry, Lord, that wasn't Christ-like for me to say or do that. And I've been in that position many times. I've had to go and apologize. Remember one time I had to go and apologize to a, to a lady in a bank. I went in one day in the bank, I'll say this in closing, I went in one day in the bank, and I was having to do a transaction. And the girl was only doing her job. And she said, I'm sorry, sorry, you can't do that. And I thought, well, why? I've been coming here for years. Sure, everybody knows me. I'm sorry, I can't do that. And I didn't say anything other than my body language. My body language wasn't good. And I left that bank. I went into the mall. And halfway through the mall, I thought, do you know what? That's not right. I, I, 
I've got to go back and apologize. And I went back, and she was away on lunch. So I went back into the mall, went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, had a feed, spent an hour, and come back again, and I found her. And I says, look, I'm very sorry. I says, I came to you today. You were doing your job. Well, she says, it's fine. It's okay. I says, no, but I offended. No, she says, you didn't offend me. I says, but my body line says, it's okay, sir. It's all right. I said, well, just wanted you to know, and I walked out of there again. And I'm glad I did go back because it was weighing on me. I thought, that's not way to, there's no way to treat somebody that way. Just my body language must have, you know. So we all are capable of the wrong thing, aren't we? But by and large, let her, let her, let her mouth be gracious. Amen? Let us say gracious words. Let's be Christ-like in all that we do or say. Let her shibboleth be good. Amen? The same for you who are watching. Let your shibboleth be good. Let it reveal who you truly are. Don't be the guy man I work with. Don't hide your light under a bushel. You know, your city's set in the hell. Don't let it be hid. Let your light shine for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you came to this earth to die on that cross that we might be saved forever, eternally. So we bless you for that today. And help our words to reflect you. Help our words to be gracious words that be Christ-like to those whom we meet. Let our testimony and our witness be revealing of who we truly are. We're people of God. We're the children of the Most High. We're sons and daughters of the Lord. Let us live that life. So Lord, bless us as we part this week, as we go into our working week. Lord, those whom we work with or live with or live beside our neighbors or loved ones, Lord, let us reflect the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We ask this in his precious and lovely name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.